0: Section 13 of Bird Stories from Burrows by John Burrows. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra. Bird Stories from Burrows by John Burrows. Section 13 The Catbird. It requires an effort for me to speak of the singing catbird as he. All the ways and tones of the bird seem so distinctly feminine. But it is, of course, only the male that sings. At times I hardly know whether I am more pleased or annoyed with him. Perhaps he is a little too common and his part in the general chorus a little too conspicuous. If you are listening for the note of another bird he is sure to be prompted to the most loud and protracted singing, drowning all other sounds. If you sit quietly down to observe a favourite, or study a newcomer, his curiosity knows no bounds and you are scanned and ridiculed from every point of observation. Yet I would not miss him, I would only subordinate him a little make him less conspicuous. He is the paradist of the woods, and there is ever a mischievous bantering, half-ironical undertone in his lay, as if he were conscious of mimicking and disconcerting some envied songster. Ambitious of song, practicing and rehearsing in private, he yet seems the least sincere and genuine of the sylvan minstrels, as if he had taken up music only to be in the fashion or not to be outdone by the robins and thrushes. In other words, he seems to sing from some outward motive and not from inward joyousness. He is a good versifier, but not a great poet. Vigorous, rapid, copious, not without fine touches, but destitute of any high serene melody. His performance, like that of Thoreau's squirrel, always implies a spectator. There is a certain air and polish about his strain, however, like that in the vivacious conversation of a well-bred lady of the world, that commands respect. His parental instinct also is very strong, and that simple structure of dead twigs and dry grass is the centre of much anxious solicitude. Not long since, while strolling through the woods, my attention was attracted to a small, densely-grown swamp, hedged in with eglantine, brambles, and the everlasting smilax, from which proceeded loud cries of distress and alarm, indicating that some terrible calamity was threatening my sombre-coloured minstrel on effecting an entrance which however was not accomplished till i had doffed coat and hat so as to diminish the surface exposed to the thorns and brambles and looking around me from a square yard of terra firma i found myself the spectator of a loathsome yet fascinating scene three or four yards from me was the nest beneath which in long festoons rested a huge black snake. A bird, two-thirds grown, was slowly disappearing between his expanded jaws. As he seemed unconscious of my presence, I quietly observed the proceeding. By slow degrees he compassed the bird about with his elastic mouth. His head flattened, his neck writhed and swelled, and two or three undulatory movements of his glistening body finished the work. Then he cautiously raised himself up, his tongue flaming from his mouth the while, curved over the nest, and with wavy, subtle motions explored the interior. I can conceive of nothing more overpoweringly terrible to an unsuspecting family of birds than the sudden appearance above their domicile of the head and neck of this arch-enemy. It is enough to petrify the blood in their veins. Not finding the object of his search, he came streaming down from the nest to a lower limb, and commenced extending his researches in other directions, sliding stealthily through the branches bent on capturing one of the parent birds. That a legless, wingless creature should move with such ease and rapidity, where only birds and squirrels are considered at home, lifting himself up, letting himself down, running out on the yielding boughs and traversing with marvellous celerity, the whole length and breadth of the thicket was truly surprising. Thinks of the great myth of the tempter and the cause of all our woe, and wonders if the arch enemy is not now playing off some of his pranks before him. Whether we call it snake or devil matters little. I could but admire his terrible beauty. However, his black, shining folds, his easy gliding movement, head erect, eyes glistening, tongue playing with subtle flame and the invisible means of his almost winged locomotion. The parent birds in the meanwhile kept up the most agonising cry, at times fluttering furiously about their pursuer, and actually laying hold of his tail with their beaks and claws. On being thus attacked, the snake would suddenly double upon himself and follow his own body back, thus executing a strategic movement that at first seemed almost to paralyze his victim and place her within his grasp. Not quite, however. Before his jaws could close upon the coveted prize, the bird would tear herself away and, apparently faint and sobbing, retire to a higher branch. His reputed powers of fascination availed him little, though it is possible "'that a frailer and less combative bird "'might have been held by the fatal spell. "'Presently, as he came gliding down "'the slender body of a leaning alder, "'his attention was attracted by a slight movement of my arm, "'eyeing me in an instant "'with that crouching, utterly motionless gaze, "'which I believe only snakes and devils can assume. "'He turned quickly, a feat which necessitated something like crawling over his own body and glided off through the branches, evidently recognising in me a representative of the ancient parties he once so cunningly ruined. A few moments later, as he lay carelessly disposed in the top of a rank alder, trying to look as much like a crooked branch as his supple, shining form would admit, the old vengeance overtook him. I exercised my prerogative, and a well directed missile, in the shape of a stone, brought him looping and writhing to the ground. After I had completed his downfall, and quiet had been partly restored, a half fledged member of the bereaved household came out from his hiding place, and, Jumping upon a decayed branch, chirped vigorously, no doubt, in celebration of the victory. End of section 13